Are you grateful to be in church this morning? It's good to be here. Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. Um, if you're joining us online for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And as always, a special hello to our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Show them some love. Clap for them. Well, hey, uh, I, I pray that you're uh, being encouraged and challenged through this series as we talk further about renewing um, the mind, renewing the mind. Today, I want to kind of change gears a little bit. We're still in the vein of this topic of renewing the mind. Have you been reading through uh, the devotional that you've been provided? And um, I hope that's been helping you um, overcome some challenges and, and maybe it's confronting certain things. Um, let, let me say this right off the top. There's some things I just feel stirred in my spirit to share with you. Sanctification um, is offensive to your flesh. <laughs> Have you ever felt like you've been in church sometime and, and, you, be, and you leave and you won't admit it, but inside you're mildly offended? <laughs> Am I the only person with my hand raised? You don't want to do that. But sanctification often does offend you. And it offends you because it's telling you that your flesh needs to die. That you need to decrease and God needs to increase. Now we usually don't clap about that. But how many of you want to see our nation changed and honor God? Our state changed and honor God? We'll clap. Listen. And I believe this is what the Lord wants me to remind you this morning. The way that a nation is changed. The way that a state is changed. The way that a city is changed. The way that a home is changed. The way that a marriage is changed is when you were changed. And unless you decide to humble yourself and, and reflect according to the word of God, the scriptures say that we are sanctified by his word. By his word. And we could come every Sunday and I, I could um, share stories, countless, endless stories about my children. Um, and you would you know, question my parenting skills and we would have a good laugh and we may learn some godly principles. But at the end of the day, I've learned something in the past year that, that when we gather, we should be refined. We should be challenged by the way that we live, by the way that we think, by the way that we talk. And it's in this process of sanctification that God gets glory for, in our lives. And I know you well enough to know that you, you may struggle in areas because you are human and, and you might have difficulty in certain situations and maybe you're struggling in relational things maybe in financial maybe emotional maybe there's mental health issues in your family or maybe you're dealing with those things maybe there's pain in your past that you have yet to be victorious over and walk in the victory that Christ has given you and I don't know where each one of you stand in your journey but this is what I know the word of God can sanctify it can heal it can refine and it can restore and it's the only thing and God chooses to sanctify us through his word. And he also does so and he calls us to the process of sanctification um, through fellowship with other believers. And this is one that I think we automatically try to exempt ourselves from. And um, when I was in seminary, I remember sitting down with an advisor and talking about the graduate course program and the material that I needed that was necessary in order for me to graduate with the credentials or rather the degree or diploma that I would be given. And I remember looking at all the courses and there were certain non-negotiables. Do you know when you took your core classes in school? Like I always used to ask if I could replace English and math with like 
auto shop or wood shop. And they said, well, no, you, you need to keep that. I said, no, I don't. I'd love to do two of auto shop, two of cooking, two of this, you know. No, no, no. You need to have the, the core things in place. They cannot be substituted. Do you know there's core things in your faith journey? You can't substitute them with other things. And one of those things that cannot be substituted, you cannot watch other preachers online, I watch other preachers online. I'm edified, I'm challenged, I'm equipped through other preachers, through, through other bodies of Christ across the globe. But nothing substitutes you being in fellowship with other believers in Christ. Now you might tell me that your schedule doesn't permit it. But then I would say back to you, what is more important for your marriage and your children? For you to give yourselves to the things of this world. The Bible says, what good does it profit a man for him to gain the world, yet forfeit his soul? Believers refine one another because they're pursuing the same person in Jesus Christ. And so for some of us, there's a reason we do small groups in the life of our church that we call crews. We, we stagger them in seasons so you don't have to feel like you're stuck. I remember one of the challenges for me growing up in church, I always thought that once you found a spot on team or in the church, you were there until you died. And I'm not kidding. I remember being raised in church, and um, I forget who it was. Was it Edith? Who was at the door? Was it Edith? And, um, and I, remember from a li- I, I, I remember from a little boy walking in seeing that same face every Sunday. Now, you could say faithfulness, and she was faithful, but I thought, man, once you say yes to something, you're here till you die. And you can't change. You have to stay there. So poor Edith. This is what I thought as a young boy. Poor Edith. Every day. No one else wants to do what Edith does. Everyone has to smile at everyone coming in. No one wants to do that. And so I remember thinking like, man, I don't want to be involved in church because if I'm there, I can never leave. I have to stay. I'm going to be guilted into it. And so this is this thing about obligation. We don't, we're not obligated to do anything for God. We have the privilege to serve God. We have the privilege to give to God. We have the privilege and honor to worship God, to serve the least of these. It's a privilege of ours to do that. Can you say amen, family? That's what we get to do every Sunday when we gather. And some of us, listen, you're literally preventing yourself from doing the very things you were created to do. Why? (laughs) To renew the mind. To renew the mind. Sometimes our mind can betray us. Have you ever felt that someone was talking about you and you lived the entire week frustrated and overwhelmed only to later find out that they never said a thing about you? It was something else. Oops. But you just forfeited an entire week of peace of mind because of what you've perceived. And so I wonder what you perceive about what it means to follow Jesus. I know everyone in this room has an opinion about what the church should bring and what the church should offer and what it means to walk with the Lord. I've come to realize a few things. I realize that sanctification is a necessary thing in our journey of faith. It's necessary because it forms us into the image of Christ. Do you remember when God in Exodus chapter 6, he called the people out. He literally says, I am the Lord and I will bring you out of the yoke of slavery of the Egyptians. But then right after he says, I will bring you out of slavery, this is what he says. I will free you from being a slave. It's interesting because he says, I'm going to bring you out of the place. But then I'm going to free you from the way that you think as a slave. So you might be here in church on Sunday, but just because you're here doesn't mean you think like you should. (laughs) 
And I realized that in my own faith journey, that I was in church all the time, but I wish I thought like a Christian because I was in the house of God, but it's not an automatic thing. It is an intentional thing. It is something that you have to be intentional about, saying I'm going to decide to be refined through the Word of God. Sanctification, as we talked last week, happens from the inside out. It's not, it's not behavioral modification. Go through the motions and then my mind is changed. No, the Bible says that the process of, of, your, of renewal and transformation comes through reading the Word of God. And as we go through the, 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 the text this morning, I've never done this before, but I think it would be fun. We're going to go through the life of, of Peter. How many of you know the Apostle Peter in the, in the Scriptures? And um, have you ever found yourself kind of relating to him? If you haven't yet, you will. Um, and and I, I, I see so much in his life that I believe not only will help you in this process, because I think what we often do is we say to ourselves, man, I'm just, I, I do three steps forward and then I fall off the wagon and then I'm just back in the ditch and then I have guilt and condemnation and shame and then I sneak back into church and then I try again and then I fall off and and I think it's less about doing and more about being in the presence of God. Man, there's something just powerful about being in worship. This past week was a challenging week for me mentally. And, and to be honest, family, I don't even know why. I, I could allude to a few things. We're talking about um, the power of renewing the mind. And this is something we've never really um, kind of gotten into the way that we have in this series. And I was praying and I had all of these memories, literally these bad memories from 20, 25 years ago in my life, just stupid mistakes just flood into my mind over the, over the past week. And I, I, at the beginning of it, I, I started laughing, saying, man, devil, you're so pathetic. This is like the same old, same old. This is how you attack. But, but I, I kind of did what I, I defaulted to what I used to do, was just hope that my thoughts would change and just keep going on with my day. Until the second day, realizing that this is not what I'm teaching the church, nor is this what the Scripture teaches us and how to battle an adversary, of a spiritual adversary. Every time I felt the enemy say something to me or I felt these thoughts, I began to hold them and think about them and speak to each thought and say, no, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus. My yesterday is gone and today is a new day. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And I would turn on worship music and I would just sit there and worship and listen. And it would, all, it would be a matter of moments in, in a worship song, four or five minutes in the worship song. And I just feel this weight lifted off of my spirit and just begin to worship God and say, thank you, Jesus, for who you are in my life. And there's something special and, and, and powerful and, and supernatural that happens when you decide to be intentional in when the, uh, the enemy begins to attack your mind. And how many of you were blessed this morning in worship? Just standing in the presence of worship and, and being ministered to in your heart and your spirit. And God will do that. He'll heal you through those processes. Romans 12, 2 is our verse of this series. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Peter was... As I used to read through the text, I used to look at him and say, wow, Peter is um, a special person. <laughs> he always means well, but ends up always putting his foot in his mouth. Does anyone um, relate to that? And you can have the best intentions, but you just often say things at the wrong time, and they just come out the wrong way. And I realize as we talk about renewing the mind, 
You know, Jesus said this privately to the disciples when they were sitting amongst him. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I'm going to say that again. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it mean to carry his cross daily? This verse in many ways can represent this referencing to this internal battle, this constant battle of our heart and our mind, the battle between our spirit and our flesh. Paul used to say this. Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. Paul demonstrated the same tension. But to deny myself, it means literally laying down the desires of my flesh, my wants, my desires, and putting them down, then to take up my cross would mean to choose the things that honor God, that walk in with the Spirit, and literally things that I don't want to forgive, but I'm going to because it's honoring and pleasing to God. I don't want to serve, but I'm going to because God came not to be served, but to serve the least of these. But can I tell you something? I heard this teaching through Pastor Chris Hodges one time. It's not a matter of just doing humanitarian aid or good deeds for people. If the name of Jesus is omitted from what we do, there's no supernatural power or redemptive work in it. We could give someone a glass of water as, they, as, as they're headed to hell. But if we give them a glass of water in the name of Jesus... There's a powerful connection to recognize that we're doing this not because we think we're good and that we're wonderful, but we're doing it because we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we're giving it in the name of Jesus. That's what the scripture says. All that we do, we should do in the name of Jesus. When we follow after the things of God, we learn how to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, I think sometimes when we talk about these things, it's in these big picture things. No, it's not. No. <laughs> it's, it's in the small, subtle details of things. Have you become more aware of how you react in talking about through this series? How you speak? How people get under your skin? What irritates you? And I've recognized that the moment I, I cease spending time in private with God, I'm more prone to react in a way that is not honoring to God. My children seem to bother me more. I seem to overreact. I lash out. Things that my wife says, I almost overreact to. I look at different things I get frustrated by. That didn't frustrate me yesterday, but all of a sudden this week it frustrates me. And I started to recognize that the only variable that, that lives in, in consistency is in the past, this irregularity that exists in my personal solitude space with the Lord. But to fight for that space, to find that space, to spend time alone with the Lord. Listen to what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in regard to this topic. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul writes and he says that you and I before Christ came and did what he did on the cross for our forgiveness of sins. And for us to be 
justified and redeemed before God, that we were dead in our sin. Listen, family, you'll never fully understand sanctification apart from fully understanding sin. And we live in a, in a peculiar world today. And we talk about the goodness of God and His wonders and His glories. And He is good and He is majestic and He is wonderful. And He's come, according to John 10.10, 10, to give you life and life more abundantly. But what has He come to contest, to defeat, to overthrow, and to prevent? A spiritual adversary, the Scripture says, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the Bible says. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to pervert that which is good and holy, to disrupt your mind, your life, to manipulate your idea of purpose and value and identity and significance. And if he can disrupt that, if he can disturb that, he knows that he has you off in a random, <laughs> a random journey with yourself. But if you recognize who Christ is and you realize and have the revelation that he came from heaven to earth in his fullness and Christ went to the cross to pay for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible says when you receive salvation, what you're really saying is, I've recognized that the sin in my life has prevented me from living. And I want to live. I want to live. I, I want to live. And some of us, our spirits have been renewed. This is what it means. We're heaven bound, but our minds are not. And so we know we're going to heaven because we've confessed our sins before God. We've repented from our ways. And we've acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. And we're going to heaven. But our minds are still being tormented by the earth in which we live. It's like the sin still holds us bound. But the scriptures say, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. This is what it means. That if you allow yourself to be renewed according to the word of God, your life will be transformed. Be transformed. And so this is what it means to walk in this process of sanctification. One of the most challenging things for each one of us individually is to recognize that none of this happens on autopilot. You can't just show up to an environment. Now, this would be as crazy as you... Think about this just in a very logical way. Imagine if you went to work and just stood there all day and did nothing. And then at the end of the week, you say, well, hey, I want my paycheck. And they say, you didn't do anything. They say, well, I was there. I showed up on time. I was there. And you're like, well, that's not how this works. No, it does. I just need to be there. You're like, no, 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 it doesn't work. That. It's, it, or you can just talk about it at the gym. Imagine going to the gym and just clocking in and standing there for an hour watching everyone work. You're like, this is awesome. People are working hard. Praise God. Hallelujah. And then you leave and you keep looking down month after month saying, I still don't have that six pack. See, we laugh about that. But how many of us do that in the spiritual sense of the church? We walk in every week and we're like, praise God. Hallelujah. This is wonderful. Can I tell you something? You were not called to spectate in the kingdom of God. You were not. Your best life is a life lived in community that is surrendered to God. And that which you fight to hold prevents you from fully living in the life that God has for you. Peter's first encounter with Christ was a significant one. A significant one. And do you remember what happens in Luke chapter 5? And I love this because Peter's, con it's seeming, it seems like Christ just accidentally bumps into him. But there's intentionality behind everything that Christ did when he was on earth. But in chapter 5 of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, it said on one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, people began to gather around him. They gathered around him. They were all by the lake. 
And then all of a sudden it says in verse 3 that he got into one of the boats. Just someone's boat. Just got into the boat because the crowd kept pressing upon him. And it just so happens the boat that he gets in is the boat that belonged to Peter. He says to Simon Peter, put out a little bit on shore. He goes, the crowd's getting so big. Put, let me get into your boat. He gets in the boat. He says, push out a little bit. And he's sitting in the boat teaching the people. It says that he taught them for hours. And in verse 4, he says to, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. It's almost completely irrelevant to what's going on, according to Simon Peter's mind. Imagine Jesus showing up to your job, and he's just having his own Bible study. He's minding his own business, and all of a sudden, what seems to be indifferent to what's going on in Peter's life, he turns around to Peter and says, hey, push the boat out into the deep water. And he's like, why? <laughs> he says, you might be a teacher and a rabbi. He says, but I'm a fisherman. And he says, I I've, we've been out all night. We've worked really, really hard. We've done everything we could do. In our flesh. We haven't caught a thing. He says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Scripture says that when he put down the nets, their boats were so full they began to sink. Simon Peter saw this. He fell down the knees on his knees and said, get away, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. This is the beginning of his spiritual journey. What was your journey like when you said yes to Jesus? Did he interrupt you in your space? Did someone come into your world unexpected and out of nowhere? It might be unexpected to you. It wasn't unexpected to God. God's been chasing after you since the day you were born. Why? Because he made you, he formed you, he knows you, and he loves you. And so Christ interrupts Peter's world, and he shows up at his place of employment, and he works a miracle. And right after he works a miracle, Peter recognizes that he's in the presence of someone significant. I don't know if he recognized that Christ was the Messiah yet, but he says, I'm a sinner. I'm not right. He recognizes that he's fallen short, that he doesn't live to the standard that God expects. And I don't know about you, but when Christ came into your world, how did it mess with your identity and your purpose in your life? When you had this revelation in our culture today, you say the name of Jesus and people say, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. I, I know him. I, I've heard of him. They've heard of him, but they don't really know him. But when you really hear the message of Jesus and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Your identity and purpose should be, should be significantly changed. In Matthew chapter 14, it's interesting because it's the second encounter with Peter, but it's a unique one. How many of you know it doesn't take much time between you saying yes to Jesus and you experiencing your first turbulent experience or circumstance in life? And so here he is. He's recognized Jesus as a good rabbi, and I don't want to presume as to whether or not he recognized Christ was the Messiah, but he's following him. He's called out of what he's given his life to, to become a fisher of men, no longer someone who just catches fish. And in Matthew chapter 14, it's a portion of Scripture where Jesus walks on water. He's teaching people, and this is right before, remember Jesus feeds the 5,000. 
they witness this miraculous miracle. And Jesus says, hey, get in the boat, get in and cross the lake, and I'll meet you on the other side. And as they got into the, into the, into the boat and head for the other side, it says that while they were alone, um, the wind started to, to increase against the boat. And it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then Peter, Peter, the same one who witnessed the miraculous work of him commanding him to push out to the deep to catch more fish than he has ever in his life. The same Peter who witnessed him feed 5,000 from a little boy's lunch that they stole. They didn't steal it. They just borrowed it. And gave them back a lot more. Now all of a sudden, here they are again. And Jesus is walking on water. And Peter's just not all right, just witnessing it. Because he has something stirred into him saying, no, if it is Jesus, I know he's for me, not against me. He loves me. He cares for me. And he says to him, Lord, if it is you, call me to come on the water. And Christ says, come. And so he walks on the water. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out to the Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I'm always caught by that portion of scripture, that story of Peter. Peter's the one in the boat. And some of you might look like, well, I don't ever want to step out. If I step out, I might sink. But if you don't step out, you'll never have a chance to walk on water. You'll never have a chance to know what Christ could do in and through your own obedience and trusting Him. The powerful thing is, is to recognize all of us can be intimidated by the waves of the world, by the winds that surround us. But to be refined and sanctified in the things of God. In order for us to be refined and sanctified, we need to be challenged in our faith. To trust more in the things of God than the things of the world. Can you say amen? Then finally, as we continue on, Peter has this experience in the storm. He recognizes that Christ calls him out to do things that he could never do on his own. But then Jesus asks Peter who he is. And this is a significant portion of text. I read it often because in many ways, this is the formation of the church. This is the the recognition of what Christ intends to do in building the church Um, Through this confession of faith in who he is as the Messiah, the one who's come as the final lamb for the one who could pay for the forgiveness of sins for all humanity. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, who do they say that the son of man is? Some said you are John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still some say Jeremiah or other prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied to Simon Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. On that moment, Peter had this revelation that was given to him by God and this revelation enabled him to not only have a greater sense of purpose for his life, 
but to understand the very reason for which Christ came. Do you know, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, the scriptures, and many of you have heard this portion of scripture before, it says, where there is no revelation, or other translations would say vision, where there is no vision or revelation, people cast off restraint. They just go wherever they want. They'll walk this way and that way and this way and that way. There's no direction for their life. There's no purpose. But where there is godly revelation, there is restraint in how they run. There's purpose added to your life. And I believe with all my heart that it's in this moment Peter had a sense of greater purpose than he ever had before. He understood why Christ came to set him free and that he would become a, a child of heaven and he would be a fisher of men and walk after the things in the same way that Christ did. In Matthew chapter 26, Peter leaves Matthew chapter 16 on this high note. Jesus looks at him and, have you ever been commended in class in front of a bunch of people and they point you out and they say, hey, you, awesome job. And you're kind of like, well, thanks. You know, I feel pretty good about it. You can't feel too good about it after Jesus says, well, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't do it on your own. God told you. But what I love about Peter's response is God could have revealed it to him, but he didn't need to say it. And he did. He confessed it because God revealed it to him. But in Matthew chapter 26, something interesting happens. Jesus predicts that Peter would deny him. And Peter argues and says, I would never do that. Jesus is standing before his disciples and he says, This very night you will all fall away from me on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, you will go ahead of, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, these are all the disciples that walked with Jesus for three years. But then Peter replies, after Christ says this, he says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I never will. Have you ever felt like, or have you ever said that to God? If you get me out of this, God, I'll never do that again. I never say this. I always do this. <laughs> Christ could have ignored Peter's statement, but he doesn't. He says, truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. You know the story as it progresses. Jesus would be arrested and he would be taken to the Roman leaders and he would have sham trials in order to get him onto the cross. And all while this is happening, there is a sense of un unnerving. There is a sense of fear and, and terror that is living inside of the, of the disciples. And Peter says, listen, I don't care what happens. I'm never going to leave you. And Christ says, you're going to disown me three times. As we read through the text, you find that Peter did it once, did it twice, and he did it three times. This revelation of his betrayal to the things of God was crushing for him. It came from this moment of, of Christ saying, Peter, it's on this confession of faith I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. To fast forwarding to the moments when Christ was in his greatest need and Peter says, whoa, all these other losers may run and they might leave you um, like Pastor Brian's friends did on the train. He's like, but I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. He says, I'll stay with you to the very end. And Jesus says, no, you won't. 
No, you won't. And you know what I love about the honesty of Christ is he speaks to our inability to overcome things apart from the spirit, from the strength of the Holy Spirit. He almost says to us, listen, I understand your weaknesses. I understand that you're tempted and you're challenged. And I don't expect you to be perfect all the time. I just want you to know my heart. And you'll see as the story progresses that Peter's denial sends him in this downward spiral emotionally. He's overwhelmed with grief, with agony, with a sense of failure and shame. He feels like he's failed the things of Christ. He watches Christ go to the cross and be crucified. But then in John chapter 21, we see the heart of Jesus. In John chapter 21, we see Jesus reinstate the very things that he came to. (laughs) Well, we see the heart of Jesus exposed. Peter's forgiven. He's given a second chance. And it's in this moment of time that I remember reading this portion of Scripture and thinking, (laughs) only Christ could do this. Only Christ could know the inner workings of your fears and your failures of your past. And only Christ could piece them together in a way that you know he loves you more than you could have ever imagined. Peter doesn't know what to do after he fails the things of of God and failed Christ. So he goes back to what he was used to doing. I don't condemn that because he was good at doing that. And so he went back to what he was doing prior and he started to fish. And so he's there, and it says in verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize it was Jesus. The, Peter and his, and, his, and his pals were out on the boat, and they were fishing, and Jesus is on the beach, and they, they don't know it's Jesus. And he says, friends, have you any fish? He's yelling out to them, did you catch anything? You know, he already knew the answer, but he decided to ask anyway. And they yell back, no, we haven't caught anything. And Jesus on the, on the shore says, hey, why don't you throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find something. And I don't know if it triggered something in Peter's mind where he's like, wait a second, I've heard this before. It's the beginning of my story following Jesus. Listen, only Christ can do this. He knows the moments in your journey of faith that meant something to you. And sometimes God will always bring you back. Just like Kayla was telling you this morning in our time of worship that God wants you to remember his hand, his love, his moments with you. And he'll often do some things unique and supernatural to bring you back to those places. So he yells to Peter, he says, throw the, throw the net on the other side. And they do. And it says when they did this, they were unable to haul the nets in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter... It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard this, heard him say this, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net filled with fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning with coals, and there were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus has this moment with Peter, with Peter. And I'm sure the moment meant something to James and John and Thomas. But he has this moment with Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. Then again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. 
And then the third time he said to Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had, Jesus had asked him three times, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. <laughs> He's speaking in many ways of his last days, Peter's last days. Peter would be used instrumentally in the founding of the church. As you move forward into Acts, you recognize in Acts 1 what in the moment of Pentecost when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit would fall. We recognize that the one who gave the most powerful speech around everyone was Peter. Peter stood before this crowd filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, and tells the people, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 4, Peter and John are arrested. They're arrested for doing what? <laughs> for proclaiming truth. For going from place to place, proclaiming the goodness of God. They're brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin tells them, don't keep preaching about Jesus. You're not allowed. And then they say this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man, this is when they healed the lame man. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then Peter says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. And then they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary people. And they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. <laughs> I just want people to take note that I've been in the presence of Jesus. And I pray that that's the same for your life. That people can look at you and say, that person has been in the presence of Jesus. I want to pray for you before we go today. There's something powerful that Peter recognized. He recognized that through the cross, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. That Christ paid for our salvation in full. But he also recognized that unless we constantly, unless we constantly pursue the things of God and allow the Spirit of God to transform us from the inside out, sanctification will be nothing more than a, than a word, a vocabulary word in our index that we talk about as Christians. But... If we pursue the things of God, we will live. Paul writes in Romans, listen to what he writes. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation not to the flesh, not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So Paul writes. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Let me pray for you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes?
Jesus says this prayer in John 17. Some of you just want God to pluck you out of your situation. God, take me out of it. Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Listen, sanctify them. Sanctify them. Some of you are being sanctified. You don't like it. It doesn't feel right. But Holy Spirit, sanctify them. Sanctify us, God, by your truth, by your word. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself so they too might be truly sanctified. If you're here this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never got to the posture in your heart to say, God, I can't save myself. Sin is evident in my life. I know I do wrong and I need to be forgiven. I know that no imperfect person can stand in your holy presence. And the only way that I can deal with sin, according to the scripture, is through the shedding of blood. So maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never called on the name of Christ. The Bible says that Jesus came from heaven to earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And if you call on the name of Jesus, the Bible says he's faithful to forgive you. So wherever you are in your journey of faith, we're going to say a prayer. And this prayer is not just a random prayer, a get out of jail free card prayer. It is a prayer of conviction to say, God, forgive me of my sins. I know that I need you in order to be redeemed and saved and set free to be seen as a child of God. So come on, family. Help me as we say this prayer and others say this prayer for the first time, receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jesus bled and died on the cross so he could pay for the issue of sin in your life. Sin destroys, perverts, and disrupts everything that is good and holy and honoring. But Christ came that you would have life and life more abundantly. And so we're going to pray this prayer of repentance, this prayer of salvation, so that from this point forward, you're no longer the same. The Bible says you are a child of heaven. So come on, family, repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and defeated sin in the grave. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, family. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope the message was encouraging to you. I hope it was challenging to you. I just pray that it, it edified you in the season that you find yourself in. One of, our, uh, one of our core values here at True North is we believe that we're made to move. And, and when we say that, I know sometimes people are confused by that. They're like, well, what does that mean, move? And, and we don't believe it's irrelevant or just random movement. We believe that is intentional movement um, in your personal walk with Jesus. We believe that that movement is, is directed and guided right to the person of Jesus. And we've, we've built and designed not only our church website, but our church app around the, the intention and the heart to help equip you and resource you on that journey with Jesus. So I pray that you take the time to look at our website, look at our app, and maybe you'll be encouraged through Care Plus or some of the devotionals that are available to you or past messages that are available to you. Share it with other people as it's our intention to resource people in their personal journey with Jesus.